2: Whether you've competed in jiu-jitsu once or a thousand times, you probably remember your first competition experience. I certainly do. I've talked about it on the show a bunch. And this weekend is an exciting one for many different reasons. First of all, it's U.S. Grappling's first time at the Europa Games in Charlotte, North Carolina. And as I record this on Friday afternoon, we're getting ready to roll out there to watch competition. The adults go on Saturday, April 22nd. The kids go on Sunday. And we're excited to see some of you, some podcast listeners for the first time, excited to record some folks that we haven't had on the show before for future shows, and I'm personally excited because my favorite white belt, Betsy O'Donovan, is going to compete for the first time. We're trying to record her reactions leading up to the tournament and might record a few things after just to sort of get that competition experience. I really wish someone had done this for me the first time I competed just so I could see my reactions about what it was like, whether it was different than I thought it would be, whether it was the same, and just kind of get that fresh-eyed viewpoint on what Jiu-Jitsu competition is all about. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for many reasons, and one of the reasons is it's so supportive of new competitors. And so I'm excited to see you out there, whether you've competed a zillion times and we've met a bunch, or whether I've never met you before. So we're going to have hats and shirts and, and stickers and all kinds of dirty white belt swag. So come up and say, hey, if you have suggestions about who else to have on the podcast, we're excited to talk to you about that as well. So if you did go to the tournament, hopefully you came up to us and told us what you think of the show, what you'd like to see more of in the future. And if you didn't see us, you can always get a hold of us through email at kagesidewhup at gmail.com, on Twitter at DWBRadio, or on Instagram at Dirty white belt. We check that stuff all the time. So if you missed us in person, do hit us up over the internet. Speaking of tournament competition, I couldn't be more excited for this week's featured guest, Gary Tonin. We've wanted to have Gary Tonin on the podcast for a long time, and as luck would have it, Lourdes Cantu was training at Henzo Gracie Manhattan with the man himself. So she got a terrific 30-minute interview with him that I'm really excited to share with you. Lotus asked him some terrific questions about his attitude on competition, what he thinks about jiu-jitsu, his goals generally, and whether he gets nervous competing. You'll also be interested in Gary's answer about what the most common mistakes people make going for heel hooks. So if you're a leg lock fan, I'm sure that you'll be interested in hearing one of the best practitioners of leg locks currently operating's viewpoint on that. But before that, let's get into the news. It's a big weekend. I already mentioned U.S. Grappling April 22nd and 23rd. You can also compete next month at U.S. Grappling Greensboro. That's May 20th. So there's plenty of opportunities to compete. If you missed out this weekend, check out U.S. Grappling on uh, May 20th in Greensboro. There are also opportunities to learn, including one coming up next weekend. Jake Whitfield, on April 29th, is going to teach a seminar at Chapel Hill Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and Train for Life North Carolina, the new gym affixed to it. That's Mozzie school in Chapel Hill. Jake already taught a seminar on how to stack pass people. We also posted a video of Jake showing the basics of his favorite and most fundamental guard pass on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash radio. Check that out if you're interested. If you've rolled with Jake, you understand that this most traditional pass is also incredibly high percentage for him. It's also a really difficult thing to defend. But if you want to learn how to defend it, April 29th, Chapel Hill Gracie Jiu Jitsu, you can take a seminar from Jake Whitfield who will show you how to defend the stack pass. I am excited to be there because Jake Stack Passes me at will. And while I don't uh, think I'm ever going to be able to defend his particular Stack Pass, hopefully he's going to give me a lot of tips to defend the Stack Pass from other people as well. So hopefully we'll see you there. Another seminar I'm excited to tell you about, Marillo um, Bustamante is an absolute legend, someone who has respect in so many sectors of the martial arts, from MMA to traditional jiu-jitsu to nogi jiu-jitsu. Murilo Bustamante has done it all. He founded Brazilian Top Team is a gi world champion, is a former UFC middleweight champion, fought in pride and taught an incredibly well received seminar here in North Carolina two years ago and we at Dirty White Belt Radio are so excited to sponsor a seminar with him Dirty White Belt Radio and Toro Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Company are bringing you Marillo Bustamante May 24th, that's going to be in Durham at the Cage Side Fight Company location 124 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina. Check our Facebook page for all the details and be sure to pre-register in the event page because this is going to fill up and trust me, if you we're at the Marilla Bustamante seminar when he came a couple of years ago you already know if you weren't you need to get familiar because this guy teaches stuff that's applicable in every aspect of the martial arts it's, it'll be one of the best seminars that you go to I guarantee it so we're all excited for that so compete at U.S. Grappling May 20th the following week come train with Marilla Bustamante at Cage Side Fight Company and if you're listening to this before April 29th check out Jake Whitfield's seminar at Chapel Hill Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and that's the news for the week if you're listening to this show, you probably like jujitsu gear, and you could probably use a free new gi. If those things are true, then go to armbarbox.com DWB for your chance to get both. The Armbar Box is a subscription Jujitsu lifestyle box that delivers full-size Jujitsu products to your door every month. And now, if you join the Armbar Box's VIP pre-launch, you have a chance to win a free gi. All you need to do to enter the free gi giveaway is sign up for their email list and then share to win points. So go to armbarbox.com DWB for your chance to win that free gi and to check out those products. So U.S. Grappling Charlotte was yesterday, and it would be silly to go out there, to compete, to coach, to do all the stuff that one does at a jiu-jitsu tournament and not record some of the folks that attended. So we talked to some people, including some who had really impressive performances, including some we just hadn't talked to before and wanted to talk to, and some of the more interesting people in the local martial arts community. So before we get into our featured interview, we're going to talk with some of the people uh, from U.S. Grappling and do some results from, from that tournament. These are far from all the people that we talk to, so we're going to save some of the interviews for future shows. But if you're interested in the sounds of U.S. Grappling Charlotte, here are a few. One thing I do want to mention is that there were a lot of folks who were competing for the first time yesterday. One of them you know from having listened to the show is my favorite white belt, Betsy O'Donovan, who competed in her inaugural tournament yesterday. But there were a bunch of others, including one you'll hear from in the segment that we're just about to do. I do want to mention this because you guys might get a bonus show this week. I talked to a number of different people who are competing for the first time, Before their matches and after their matches. And so it's always interesting to me to get perspective on someone's experience when it is the initial experience. And so we might do a bonus show this week called It's My First Time. Another thing I want to mention is that Josh Murdoch, last week's guest, got his first First ever double gold yesterday, which is super impressive, and we're very proud of Josh. Josh has been on a tear lately, um, doing extremely well at the New York Open, as well as uh, now double gold, both weight and absolute champion at U.S. Grappling Charlotte. So congratulations to Josh Murdoch. Another person who did well yesterday was Andrew Bittner, someone who's a super regular competitor on the local scene and somebody really on the rise. Andrew got three gold medals and a bronze medal yesterday. He went eight and one. Uh, And I talked to him after one of those wins uh, where he emerged victorious via leg lock after a tough match with a big, strong guy who got him in a Kimura. So let's hear from Andrew Bittner. Was the guy you just competed against, was he as strong as he looks or stronger?
3: About as strong as he looks. Yeah, the size of his... The size of his
2: biceps were about the size of my head. And so what happens when you're on the bottom there, and it seemed like you were trying to elevate him for leg locks, and uh, what, what's, And you got a butterfly sweep at the beginning, and uh, what happened through the match?
3: So I was able to hit the butterfly sweep um, when I was able to get an underhook and a nice shoulder crunch position, uh, threw a butterfly hook in on the opposite side, swept him over, um, he was able to lock up Kimura and swept me back. Um, I had to give him the sweep so I could escape that Kimura. And then, I mean, the big part of my butterfly game is inviting people in so I can elevate. Um, But he was sitting back on his heels real well, and I couldn't off-balance him well enough. So I ended up standing up and then hitting an entrance from standing.
2: Did you expect the Kimura? Because it looked like it came on really fast. and It it didn't look like it was super deep, but having a guy that strong get a hold of your arm has to be an an unnerving feeling.
3: Yes, normally I have a pretty good reaction of just kind of like pummeling it back in. But, yeah, the grip he got on that was a lot tighter than I expected, so I had to respect it. A little disappointed I gave it to him because that's kind of my kryptonite right now, leaving my arms out. But at least I was able to defend this one and get back into position.
0: Hey, Jeff Shaw. Yeah, Betsy. How long have you been a U.S. grappling ref?
2: I've been a referee since I got my purple belt almost two years ago.
0: So can you tell me a little bit about the things referees have to do to get qualified for U.S. grappling?
2: So U.S. grappling takes officiating very seriously because they want the competitors to have a great experience. And so you have to go to a referee certification course that's a whole day. You have to have a purple belt or higher in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under a qualified instructor. And when you go to one of these, they'll run you through videos of common matches. They'll run you through quizzes. They'll go over the rules with you. And at the end of the day, everybody who wants to officiate has to referee mock matches so they'll recruit local grapplers to go through uncommon situations to see how you handle it. It's a terrific experience uh, both for learning the rules better just becoming a better jujitsu jitsu practitioner. I actually did two of those certifications before I started refing just because I wanted to really really be prepared and uh, there were some hilarious things that happened at my two certifications that I'll tell stories of on the podcast sometime
0: good deal well if you want to go uh see what the reffing at us grappling is all about our friends and sponsors over at us grappling are at usgrappling.com and you can check out an upcoming tournament we'll see you in charlotte or maybe in greensboro
2: so I mentioned Andrew went eight and one really tremendous performance, you know, nine matches is a lot of matches, especially when you only lose one of them. So his one loss was to someone he'd never grappled before. No geek. He went up against black belt, David Porter, one of the most popular show guests that we've had. And a guy who's a recurring guest on the podcast. So those guys had a a fantastic nogi match that you can see on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cageside Radio, if you want to check it out. And we've already heard from Andrew about his match experience early on, but I want you to hear from Dave Porter about his match experience against Andrew, who, shockingly, he'd never grappled before. Was that the first time you and Andrew Bittner had
4: competed against each other? First time we've ever competed against each other. Uh, That's my fourth time winning by points in 12 years. He's tough. Yeah, Bittner? Binner's a tough
2: guy. I'm shocked that you guys haven't competed given like how often you guys both compete. But Like what are your impressions of the match? It looked like a lot of leg lock action, a lot of top to bottom.
4: Uh, Andrew is one of those guys who's getting a grasp on that game very, very easily. And he's coming up strong with it, taking seminars, learning from privates, and every, every chance he can get. Um, I still have a really good background in leg locks, so for me, even though it's a tournament, even though I want to win, I still have to think like a mentor. And in the mentor-mentee relationship, it's like leaving trails of breadcrumbs. I'm I'm gonna get into bad spots. I'm the experienced um, black belt competitor in the match. I want to make sure that he has that that opportunity to grow as well. So yeah, I wanna I wanna feel it out. I want him to see what's like, and then I also want him to feel my defense.
2: So it was really interesting the the technical leg lock exchanges were really fascinating to watch to watch you set up your defense Escape your knee and re-enter the position and it looked like you almost had a heel look of your own at one point I did but maybe the killer instinct isn't there because I
4: like him You know, it's one of those weird things and I kind of felt some hesitation on him and I think it's the the mutual respect I hit him up yesterday on my way down saying hey, are you doing absolute no Because I am he's like "Uh, I didn't plan on it. But now that you're there. Let's play so
2: You know, we're both game. It's awesome. It's awesome to see mutual respect develop. Thanks again for talking to us. Thanks, Jeff. I mentioned that there were several people at the tournament competing for the first time. U.S. Grappling is a terrific place for your first tournament. I talked to some of them, and one of whom you're going to hear from right now, Dylan McGrath is a white belt training at Elevate MMA who is competing in Nogi for the first time. But this is far from Dylan's first competition experience, and I thought some of his competition history is something that might have been interesting to you. So we talked to him both before and after his first jiu-jitsu match in competition. So let's hear from Dylan both before his first match and right after it. So Dylan, today's your first tournament. Yes, sir. What are you expecting?
5: Uh, I'm expecting to have fun and to grapple with another grown man. And beyond that, I, I don't really know what to expect. It's kind of a weird environment, but uh, I come from a super competitive background. So uh, grappling in front of a crowd doesn't get me nervous. It's just like doing it for the first time is like the thing I'm more nervous about than anything.
2: What other competitive pursuits have you uh, been engaged in?
5: Uh, well, I did wrestling in uh, high school, but not really a lot. Uh, I wrestled for maybe like half a season, and I quit because there was too much running. I played football all four years of high school, and then uh, after high school, I got involved in like competitive gaming. I come from like a highly competitive video game background, sort of, because I was injured for a long time after high school. I, I played a uh, like fighting games at the highest level for like lots of money in front of thousands of people live and then thousands more watching at home. So like Starcraft? Uh, no, I play uh, Smash Brothers, competitive Smash Brothers. Yeah. And now I, uh, I retire. I do color commentary now. So, so that's like kind of what I do when I'm not on the mats and stuff. But that's how I got into uh, actual MMA, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is like you'd be surprised how similar the elements are between a thinking man's fighting game and a thinking man's fight.
2: What are the similarities between competitive gaming and competitive martial arts?
5: Uh, pattern recognition is the biggest one. Any game that requires you to be out thinking another person, whether it's grappling, chess, fighting, anything like that, pattern recognition and prediction is huge. Uh, but just being able to remember what you practiced when you're in a live scenario is, is the biggest skill that one can have and it's just about how you prepare. I, I feel like my preparation for this was as good as any competition I've ever prepped for so I feel pretty pretty good about that.
2: (laughs) So do you have a game plan going in today? Uh,
5: My game plan is to wait for the other guy to see exactly if he's going to go balls to the wall or not. I feel like a lot of these guys uh, especially a novice are probably going to like you said in your last podcast with Jake uh, they go all out like right at the beginning so I'm going to wait to see if that's the case and if that's the case I'm going to try to just uh, match them for us and then use my technique as the as it goes to the ground, sorta. Of. Um, I don't plan on matching like strength with strength. I plan on using a lot of technique and uh, trying to, I guess, tire, tire someone out, Use um, impose my weight on them, make them carry me around. That's probably my biggest game plan, but my biggest game plan outside of that is to remember that while I'm grappling.
2: <laughs> so how'd the first match ever feel?
5: Uh, I was I forgot to breathe. I realized about halfway through, I was like, wait a second, like you're not breathing. So uh, I started breathing, and, he uh, he had my neck pretty good. I thought he was gonna darse me, but he went for a guillotine. He didn't have it, but he could have
2: got the darse. But I spun out and uh, found his back, and that was it. Uh, yeah, you finished by rear naked choke. It's terrific. You must be feeling you must be feeling exhilarated.
5: Yeah, I feel really good. All the nerves are officially gone now. So hopefully in the next match I'll be able to think a little bit more clearly and uh, remember to breathe. <laughs>
2: It's time for our featured interview. I'm very excited about this. I think this is one of the coolest interviews we've done. Gary Tonin is not just one of the best competitors operating today. As you'll hear, he's also thoughtful, introspective, and thinks in a deep and interesting way about the role of competition in his life, about his priorities, about where he's going now and in the future. And something I'm really excited about, he kind of teases some breaking news, as well as offering an opportunity for you, the listener, to interact with us and participate in comment. You'll see what we mean toward the end of the interview. So, Lourdes Cantu did this interview at Henzo Gracie Manhattan. Really grateful to Gary Tonin for that, and really grateful to Lourdes for making it happen. So let's not wait anymore. Let's get to our featured interview with Gary Tonin. Our featured interview today is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company. Featuring the best gis, rash guards, shirts, fight shorts, and all other products for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Toro BJJ is the best company to support for your grappling needs. Additionally, Toro BJJ does a lot to support our local community as well, and it's important to support those who support us. You can check them out online at ToroBJJ.com or in person at 124 Ladder Road in the location of Cage Side Fight Company and Triangle Jiu-Jitsu. Thanks to Toro BJJ for supporting this featured interview.
0: This is Lourdes with Dory White Belt Radio speaking with Mr. Gary Tonin at Enzo Gracie. Hi, Gary. Hello. How's it going, guys? So Gary, I have a couple of questions here that we wanted to um, to ask you, and um, we know that you had a match a while back with um, with one of the, our local black belts, CJ Murdoch, and we were wondering, um, what do you remember from that match?
1: Um, yeah, I remember uh, that match pretty clearly. This is back when professional grappling was pretty small. Um, I was doing a lot of very local events uh, here and there to try to. Uh, you know, to try to make a living to, or to you know, at least support my living that I was making off of my school at the time, which I had just started and everything like that. Um, we have fought in or had a match in an organization referred to as um, PGL, I believe. And uh, you know, they had like a bunch of super fights on the card and it would be after a, uh, an amateur grappling event that they would have in the morning and then they would have everybody stay and do a professional grappling uh, <clears throat> at the end. And uh, it, was, it was something that, uh, you know, we were preparing for. And uh, I remember I, I used a movement that I'd seen Henzo do um, a few times in the gym where uh, he inverted and, uh, and got locked a full guard around his training partnerships and went for a toehold. Because uh, it's, it's like you get access to their legs, but it's difficult for them to get access to yours. And uh, I was able to secure a toe hold in that fight. I, I'm pretty sure that that's how it ended. I could be wrong, but... That's what I believe I remember from that fight. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was def- definitely a good competitor and uh, you know, it was a fun match for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the biggest heel hook mistakes you see the average leg locker making?
1: Good question. Um, I think the primary mistake everyone makes is they focus on finishing first. Uh, I don't think I had a very good clear idea of how to finish many of the submissions that I, that I finished today. Um, outside of maybe an inverted heel hook because it's just so much easier to finish. I don't think I had as, as much of a clear idea of exactly how I was going to go about finishing those submissions as much as I was focusing on how I was going to control my opponent's legs to get to one of the positions where I could potentially finish. I think the primary struggle that uh, that we had uh, from the very beginning when we started experimenting with leg locks and you know, learning from John was learning how to control people's legs and not not go for a leg and then get uh, you know, get put in a bad position where your opponent would um, you know, potentially dominate mm-hmm. positionally or with their own submission or whatever the case may be. There's a lot of leg locks that could potentially expose your back. So I think a lot of people focus so harshly on the actual element of submitting their opponents with leg locks. They just get a hold of a leg, try to rip across the chest, or get a hold of an Achilles lock and bridge in as hard as they can to finish before they focus on actually controlling the limb um, and that would lead to the finish or lead to the position they could finish.
2: U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com.
0: Um, what are your competition goals, and do the IBJJF mat- medals matter to you at all? Oh, I mean everything
1: matters. You know, it's just a different type of it's just a different type of event. I mean, my personal goals right now are a lot more geared towards uh, professional competition. In um, IBJJF, as far as no gee is concerned, there are very limited numbers of professional competitions that they hold. Uh, and the ones of which they do, uh, you ironically have to qualify to be involved with them by competing in the gi, which doesn't really make any sense. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I don't do that really anymore. I just my main focus is without the gi. Uh, one day, maybe perhaps I'll change that. But as of right now, it's without the gi. But um, so because of that, because uh, they don't really hold too many professional events and things like that, and because there's so many professional events out there, I tend to spread my focus specifically uh, toward uh, those professional events for instance i'll give you an example uh, Nogi Worlds last year was held at the same time that uh, uh, Eddie Bravo Invitational was held and uh, i chose to do the Eddie Bravo Invitational instead of you know Nogi Worlds mm-hmm. i mean it's a difference between potentially winning $20,000 um, you know and you know competing in front of a live audience and really building a brand and you know just competing for Nogi Worlds which honestly isn't even looked at by most of the mainstream Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu community as like that big of a deal. Um, people winning No Gi Worlds tends to be like it's a big deal, like people care for sure, but it's not the same for, for people as winning like uh, uh, IBJJF Gi Worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, they certainly don't look at it as as, a, as prestigious of an event. Mm-hmm. Um, people without the Gi, they tend to look more towards uh, ADCC when it comes to um, more of the international level you know competitions. They look at that like the pinnacle of no-gi Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So um, as far as the IBJJF is concerned, when it when it lines up with what my goals are, um, which are mainly to compete without the gi right now, uh, it doesn't seem as though they place a whole lot of emphasis on it, um, especially not from the professional level. So it's not to say that anything that I've – I mean, I won no-gi worlds um, without the gi um, – or sorry, I won no-gi worlds as a brown belt twice – uh, pan-ams as well and you know i competed a couple times at the black belt level too uh, without the gi for them um but again it's it just was never really my main focus i mean i had to break the way that i normally train for my professional career uh in order to specifically prepare for those tournaments because they're so different than all of the professional events that i do mm-hmm. um there's no professional events that i do that outlaw reaping or heel hooks or any number of different things um, that. Th- or really have a too much of a point structure to be honest there's really not too many professional events that i'm competing in that do that either so it really changes a lot of, of my training and you know if it comes down to me competing in one of those events and taking time away from preparing for my professional events it's not very co- it doesn't really make sense for me as
0: much anymore mm-hmm. you know? so is there um is there an event that you would or is there something that you would like to win but that you haven't been able to compete in or haven't haven't won yet What what's
1: your oh yeah i mean i'm, for sure, I'm the goal. One of the goals is always to win ADCC because it's looked at as is such a prestigious event without the gi for um, many Brazilian Jiu Jitsu uh, competitors. Um, you know, I've, I've went twice now. Won my first match, lost the second. Had some you know exciting matches in the absolutes as well. Um, and I think I've done fairly well. Um, yeah, there's definitely a, a lot more to do though. I, I, I need to win. Right. <laughs> Essentially, I need to win the whole thing. Um, but other than that, there's no. I mean, certainly, Nogi Worlds would be cool. But again, like I said. That's never going to take take a. That's never going to take a, a front seat to my professional career. So anytime my professional career gets in the way of that, it's always going to be, a, uh, you know, on the side. As far as ADCC is concerned, that will. You know, if there was something the same day as ADCC, I'm doing ADCC for sure. Okay. Um, just because, again, like. Most of the mainstream Brazilian jiu-jitsu community, that's what they respect as the pinnacle of our sport.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you're competing at such a high level, and you've been competing at a high level for such a long time. Do, mm-hmm. you, do you still get nervous when you go out to compete, and how do you handle that?
1: Yeah, of course. You know, uh, it's funny. I used to, when, when people would come to me as, like, new competitors for, in my school or other places and ask me about, you know, mentality leading up to competition and things— I used to try to give them a very structured answer and explain, you know, how I prepare and things and, um, you know, what they need to be thinking about, et cetera. But the truth of the matter is when you first go out to do competition, there's just no avoiding it. You're going to be, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to like kind of piss your pants essentially. Like you just, it's just a completely different feeling than training in the gym, mm-hmm. uh, you know, competing against somebody who, you know, is also has the intent to win and would do so at pretty much any cost. Um, is very different than training in the gym and always will be. So it's just a very different feeling. You're always competing. You're competing in front of a different audience in a different setting. There's There's nothing that gets you used to that except for continuing to do it over and over again. And as you continue to compete in these different events... Um, you get used to the different settings and it becomes more comfortable to be out in front of large numbers of people or to be in a different setting than just in the gym training. So it always gets more and more comfortable, but it never get, reaches a point where you're not nervous at all or that doesn't cause any anxiety because it inherently should cause anxiety because you are doing something different than mm-hmm. what you do every day. As much as everybody would be like, oh yeah, you should just go out there and uh, you know, you just compete the way you train, it's not really the same thing. Um, as much as you know, yeah, we do have our best rounds in the gym when we're training and, and things, of course. Um, but it's a completely different feeling. It's a completely different setting. A new opponent that you've probably never even seen, you know, you've probably never competed against before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a very different feeling. And it's just, you just, it's one of those things you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You got to accept the fact that you're going to be uncomfortable and a little bit nervous and a little bit anxious going out there and just not let that. Not that let that impact you in a in an unbelievably negative way. You try to try your best to decrease that impact as much as possible. And typically, the way that I do that is to just try to keep as consistent of a routine as possible. Try to make it as uh, as similar to the last time I competed as I, as I can, as far as physical preparation is concerned. Mental preparation, you know, all the preparation for the match is, is done you know prior. It's not done that day. There's not a whole lot you're going to change moments before a match. You know, so you just got to have confidence in your training camp and you know, push forward with uh, you know, your job that day, which is to win. Do
0: you have a routine or a ritual that you do before you go on the mat, before you go to compete?
1: Yeah, there's yeah. many things. Uh, you know, Every once in a while I'll make little adjustments, but I, I, certainly have, uh, I certainly have a warm-up routine that I relatively stick to. It's not exactly the same every time, but it's relatively the same movements, mm-hmm. relatively the same things. It could change slightly depending upon the opponent. Um, you know, certain things that I'll, I tend to eat, uh, certain things that uh, you know I tend to do, um, you know, as far as whether or not I train the day beforehand or relax, you know, I, I usually pretty much consistently train uh, even the day before I I compete. Maybe not as hard, but I still find time to do a little bit because it keeps me mentally sharp. Everybody's a little bit different. There's no one right answer. I remember, I remember as a younger competitor, something like a blue belt or a purple belt, looking around at the world championships in the gi. And trying to look at some of the guys that I saw being very successful. Um, Guys like, you know, Hodger and um, Marcelo and and different people that I knew were, you know, very good, um, consistent competitors. And just watching the way that they would kind of prepare. And, you know, as you look around the mat and you see all these different people, everybody was a little bit different. It's not like there was something in the preparation that each of them did mm-hmm. that that was like, "Oh, this is what all the world champions do right
0: there's you no know magic formula.
1: no no there 's nothing they, everything's everybody 's a little bit different, mm-hmm. you know certain things would be consistent, but they, the consistent thing is that there is a routine right mm-hmm. is that there 's something that those guys do every single time to try to make themselves feel more comfortable leading up to the competition that 's where the consistency lies it, there may not be consistency within each competitor's you know uh when you group them all together but by themselves you know they have something that they stick to and that's what i started to realize you know i would try to mimic people's routines and things and i soon realized that that wasn't the way Mm -hmm. that wasn't the way to do it you know i I wouldn't there's certain things that some people would do that would make me completely uncomfortable and not make me feel you know ready to compete um you know for instance keenan just kind of lays down and falls asleep and then just gets up and goes to compete. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen him do that a number of times, and he's an extremely successful competitor. Uh, it's never something that I could ever do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just would never really feel comfortable doing that. Um, I always need some sort of like you know, warm-up and you know, body movements that are going to be cohesive to what I'm going to be doing in the match, et cetera, mm-hmm. to make me feel comfortable to go out and compete. Um, so everybody's a little bit different, you know?
0: Um, do you get nervous when you watch your training partners compete?
1: Absolutely. In fact, I always found that uh, watching my training partners compete was, uh, <laughs> was much more stressful than myself. Yeah. Um, when Tom, my instructor, would go to, to have MMA fights or competitions, I'd always be tense. The heart's beating faster. I can just tell the breathing is, my breathing would change. You know, Everything is so much more, was so much more of a, uh, a stressful thing to me than it would be if I was competing. Because when I'm competing, I, I focus on relaxing you know, intentionally, mm-hmm. I'm trying to calm myself. But when I get in the situations where I'm cornering somebody, you know, leading up to a match or whatever the case it, I mean, it's different because I, I, I don't necessarily push the anxiety away because I know I'm not the one competing. Right. I may just be cornering or I may just be watching. So I have no reason to try to not be anxious. So I let all of those emotions and things that would normally impact me before a match just out. I let them out. Right. <laughs> you know?
0: right. Are you careful, though, not to let your, let your teammate know? That you're oh yeah,
1: you know, I, I, you can't, you can't be so. You can, as it's your job as a, it's a, your job as a teammate or training partner or corner. If you decide to travel with your teammate or corner, or sorry, your teammate or or student or whatever the case may be, to go coach them before mm-hmm. a competition, you, it is your job to make them feel as comfortable as possible mm-hmm. in the days leading up to what they're going to do or the day of what they're what they're going to do. Sure, you give them advice and pointers and, you know, mm-hmm. try to push them in the correct direction, but ultimately your job is to do whatever it is that's going to make them feel comfortable. I mean, certain people are are temperamental. Eddie Cummings is, is just absolutely terrible when he prepares for competition. I hate being around him, but when it comes down to him competing, you know, and I decide that I'm going to go out there to corner him or I'm going to go, I decide that I'm going to go, uh, you know, be there just to train with him leading up to a competition or whatever the case may be. I know what my job is. My job is to do whatever I can to make him feel more comfortable leading mm-hmm. up to that competition. So, um, yeah, you can't, you can't, even if I was anxious about one of my students or training partner's performances, I, I certainly couldn't let them know that or express that to them or or, <laughs> or say things that would make them feel that way. You know, I have right. to hide that to, right. you know, to them. You know, but I very well may be on the sidelines, you know, pissing my pants, but... You know, I'd cer- you certainly have to be very careful around uh, a competitor leading up to a competition. Everybody's everything is you know hangs in the balance essentially.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So a couple of um, personal questions. Sure. Um, Here we go. <laughs> yeah. How much of your power comes from the mustache?
1: Hmm. Well, it depends. Sometimes, sometimes I have to take it down when I when I feel as though I don't deserve it. But uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know. I, I certainly believe that it, there's it, definitely a it's definitely a piece of, of, of me that comes out when I have you know the, some nice strong facial hair. That's I definitely feel a different way on the mats. So you know I'll, I'll give it a good like a firm fifteen to twenty ta- okay. percent of the power. You know right. for that's sure. A, that's
0: a good percentage. <laughs> um, what does the world not know about you that they should know about you?
1: Well, I don't know. <clears throat> there's a lot that the world doesn't know about me, but I don't know if it's anything that they should know about me. uh <laughs> Ah, uh, good question, wow. All right, what would be relevant information that nobody knows?
5: Hmm. Hmm. Hmm.
1: I feel like when this interview is released and people hear, like, I don't know if they're, you're releasing the audio or if it's just gonna be written up, but I feel as though when people hear this part and this question that there's just going to be a million people that just comments different things that they know about me that nobody knows about me just to contribute to this. And I don't really even need to say anything and whatever they're going to say is going to be far worse than anything I'm going to be able to project to you um, via interview. I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. I think, uh, I think you know what, I, based off of you know our actions and the way that we promote matches and things now, I would say that most people maybe don't realize especially some especially some people i think that speak a different language Mm -hmm. that don't uh you know that speak either portuguese or um you know like i said really it could be any any language that do jiu-jitsu in another country or something like that maybe i think sometimes some of the things that you know myself and even some of my teammates do are just a little bit misinterpreted uh most of the things that i do when uh, I'm leading up to a match in terms of, you know, making fun of my opponents or whatever the case may be is, is sheerly for promotional value. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's, it, it is a part of my personality. I mean, growing up in New Jersey, like that's pretty much what we do all day, every day is just bust each other's balls. like just make fun of each other. And mm-hmm. that's a part of life. It's just like how lions would, you know, play fight with one another. I mean, yes, we do that in the training room too, but I believe that there's a degree of, of almost mental, fighting that that occurs uh like a almost like you bully one another to make yourself stronger so that when somebody goes to do it to you that's not a friend of yours uh it's a little less impactful you know if your friends are the people that that essentially not necessarily treat you the worst but have the harshest criticisms of you Mm -hmm. when you encounter somebody who's an enemy that has harsh criticisms of you it doesn't seem as big of a deal i've met many sensitive people in my life uh when it comes to comments and you know jokes and making fun of it and things like that, and I think I've, I have a very firm belief that those people didn 't have that mm-hmm. growing up or or if they did, they shied away from those types of people that were critical and you know made fun of them and mm-hmm. you know played around like that and uh, so I, I think a lot of people take a lot of what we do a little too seriously, and mm-hmm. i don 't take myself very seriously, okay. um, not when it comes to not when it comes to silly things like you know jokes and people making fun of one another. this is all. It's all for fun. You know, it doesn't, none of that, none of those things impact me. Words are never, no matter what words are ever exchanged between me and another person or another person to me, it's, it's never, that kind of thing is never going to impact me on a, on a real level. Somebody would have to physically do something to me, you know, uh, or, or go out of their way to harm me or somebody I care about or uh, not just try to harm my image, but like literally try to do right. something that would a- attack my well-being. For me to actually harbor ill will towards them, mm-hmm. um, most of the things that you guys see is is, is sheerly for fun, you know. Okay. So I think that's one thing that people could could maybe benefit from knowing is that you know it's this is not all just you know super serious. And I think I think another big part of it is that jujitsu in general has been uh, been stigmatized for such such a long time because it's a martial art as being that super serious, super stoic, um, yes, we do things this way and we carry ourselves this way in competition and we respect our opponents and this, that, and the other thing. It's not that I don't respect my opponents, but I also know how to have fun and I also know how to entertain people. And mm-hmm. I know it's entertaining. Um, that kind of behavior is not entertaining to people. It's not really, you know, one of the, ironically, one of the most watched um, martial arts, quote-unquote, if you will, if you could call it a martial art or fighting events, professional fighting events you, that it's watched is like WWE. Right. You know, um, it's it's huge. It's been very, very successful. They make a lot of money doing that. It's because they know how to create drama. They know how to create excitement. The actual fighting itself is completely, it's not real. Right. Right. So, it's all, yeah. so it's literally the only thing that's attracting people to watch these shows is it's not the fight. Everybody knows that the fights aren't real for the most part, except for maybe children. Everybody knows that what's happening isn't real, but it's the excitement that they try to build behind it, the drama that they build behind it, mm-hmm. um, that appeals to people. And I'm trying to do the same thing for our sport. While we have a real, you know, there's a real match happening. Right. And it's not a fake match. The match is real. And I'm going to try to conduct myself in an exciting way in the match too. But, but to, not, to, to not take the opportunity to try to create some excitement for the fans leading up to that when you have in a professional event that people are trying to pay for and, right. and answering every question like Yes, I love jujitsu. Jiu jitsu is my life. Yeah. I love my opponent. He's the best. He's very skilled. I'm gonna have a tough fight. It's the same interview everybody's ever heard. You know yeah. you gotta try to find a way to differentiate from that from that uh, you know model. Otherwise, you know, your excitement and marketability to to fans for a professional event is never gonna be very high.
0: Right. So my, mm-hmm. my last question mm-hmm. for you is, um, is actually not so much for you. It's for uh, Blue Belt Gary Tonin. Nice, nice. Um, if you could give Blue Belt Gary Tonin any one piece of advice, what would it be? Just quit. Just quit
1: <laughs> while you're ahead. You know, just just walk away. No. Um, actually, I've been thinking about starting a... Actually, I don't know if I want to say this. I'll, I'm going to keep it to myself. All right. Uh, so Blue Belt Gary Tonin okay well well, don't worry it'll it'll come soon what i was about to say i'm just going to release to the public soon um bluebell garyton what advice would i give him basically would say that i would tell him that he he knows nothing and he's not going to know anything for a very long time and even when he thinks he starts to know something definitely doesn't (laughs) (laughs) um i think the biggest thing uh and i i think i did a decent job of it but um, just moving forward is to just try to keep an open mind. Well, the only thing that the only other thing that I think I would have expressed to myself is that maybe should have spent a little bit more time watching some of the best in the sport do what they do. Um, so watch a little bit more high level grappling, high level MMA earlier on in my career, because I was always very creative and would, I obviously took instructions from my instructors who were of a very high level. Um, not to say that they weren't good, um, but to be able to pull that kind of information from people, just watching them do what they're best at in the chosen field that, that I chose um, is extremely beneficial. And to miss out on that, and it, it certainly, I think, I, I think it slowed down the progress that I could have potentially made at those levels. I could have seen some of the things that some of these higher level guys were doing um, and improved myself much earlier on. Things that I had to figure out for myself via training or via learning something from an instructor I perhaps may have found out by watching other highly skilled individuals uh, grapple or compete or whatever the case may be. There's so much available nowadays for people to watch. It's not like, you know, it's not like things are just recorded via VHS that you have to, you know, buy somewhere and find it, you know, find somewhere. It's like everything is online. So it's so easy now to watch the, the guys that are best in the world at what they do uh, that I really wish I would have spent a little bit more time doing that. And I do that a lot now, especially for a lot of my mixed martial arts training because I'm not around a lot of professional boxers. I'm not around a lot of professional Muay Thai guys. I'm not around um, all, all of that. You know? So I have to go out of my way to try to watch the best at what they do because I don't see it around me all the time.
0: Right. You know? Right. Um, and are, are you sure there's nothing you want to break right now on, um, in, on Dirty White Belt Radio?
1: No, no 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 that's <laughs> I, the only reason i don't want to say it is because somebody else is going to take the idea before i do it if i say it on the radio because yeah. i don't know how quickly i'm going to do what i'm saying and if somebody else takes the idea and steals it from me i'll be so upset okay so okay
0: well we will definitely <laughs> be listening and, and, and watching it. out for some yeah, breaking news from you but thank you so much for talking to me today <laughs> yeah, course, and for being on dirty white Bill radio mm-hmm. yeah, thank of you of course thanks
2: I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years, and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff. They do. It's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for tie gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian jiu-jitsu geese or Vale Tudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t-shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at one. Two Four Lotta Road, right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cageside is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian Jiu Jitsu competitors than just about anybody else. And so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cageside Fight Company, One Two Four Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at Cageside.com. And that's our show for the week. I want to especially thank Lourdes Cantu for doing that interview with Gary Tonin and for Gary Tonin for accepting. We've always wanted to get Gary on the show, and I was really excited to hear what he had to say. So I enjoyed that interview a lot, and hopefully you did as well. Let me once again mention U.S. Grappling Greensboro, May 20th. The week after that, Marilla Bustamante Seminar sponsored by hopefully your favorite North Carolina Jiu-Jitsu podcast. That's May 24th at Cageside Fight Company, 124 Ladder Road in Durham, North Carolina, presented by Dirty White Belt and Toro BJJ. And if you're listening to this before April 29th and you don't go to the Jake Whitfield seminar at Chapel Hill Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, um, I guarantee you, you're going to get stacked past by somebody who does. So get out there and support that. This has been another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next Sunday.